0: Haggai chapter 1 verses 12 through 15, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Thank you very much. Hey, it is good to see all of you this morning. Uh, Tyler, I so appreciate what you said. Every Sunday, is Super Sunday, isn't it for us? Yes. That's right. As we come and as we're reminded of the goodness of our God uh, and uh, what it means uh, to have life in Christ. Well, we're continuing now uh, in our series, uh, "A Life of the Better Offer." It's a study uh, in the Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 11. Uh, today, we're just going to look at three verses, uh, 12 through 15. Um, but before we, we look at those, before I review the first 11 verses and move into the uh, the next three verses, um, 12 through 13, I just want to give some review. It's like, how did the children of Israel, how did, how did they get there to where we are encountering them uh, in the book of Haggai? Uh, you might recall last week, uh, I quoted uh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren's a, a well-known pastor and author. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and he wrote The Purpose Driven Church, and he really begins with these words, um, you were created by God and for God. In other words, you were created by God for his purposes. And until you understand that, until we understand that, Uh, Warren says, nothing else in life makes sense. And we really see this illustrated in in the grand narrative of scripture. Uh, We see uh, God creating uh, humanity, Adam and Eve, uh, for himself, right? Uh, And um, for his purpose. But Sin enters the world. We call that the fall. And so the first part of the four-part story, the narrative, we see in Scripture begins with creation. Then the fall enters the world. And those that God created purposely, intentionally for himself, uh, determine that they're going to pursue what they think is a better offer. Okay? The life of the better offer, right? And so they, they pursue uh, a life uh, of sin, of rebellion, of separation from God. Uh, but even when that happened, God had already uh, planned and was planning uh, his response, which is the third part of the story, which is redemption. And uh, we experienced that through his son Christ. And um, we are awaiting the fullness of that redemption um, to be realized in the restoration, that time when Christ returns and all things um, are made new, and we experience what God had originally intended uh, before the fall. And so there's that four parts. There's creation, there's the fall, there's redemption, and then there's restoration. Right now, we're living in this time between redemption and restoration. Uh, we're awaiting um, the second advent of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we look forward. Um, we look forward uh, to that time. But if we look in scripture, um, the nation of Israel give a, a very good example for us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul recounts some of the mistakes that Israel made, and he says to his readers, hey, these things are written here so that you won't do the same thing. You'll learn from their mistakes. And so as we come to the book of Haggai, we we look back over the history of a people that began way back in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord spoke uh, to Abraham and he said, "Uh, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay? And that's, that's looking forward um, to Christ and the blessing that Christ is for the nations. And, of course, we see the ultimate fulfillment of that. We see a picture of that in Revelation um, chapter 7, verse 9, when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are gathered around the throne and they're worshiping. They're worshiping the Lord. And so way back in Genesis, the the Lord is is saying, listen, through you Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn you into a great nation and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see that picture fulfilled in Revelation, don't we? Well, um, Steve Sogren, he's a uh, a missionary, a writer, a pastor, uh, he talks about top line blessing and bottom line blessing, and he says, "You see it all through scripture, and here 's an example: um, the top line blessing was to abraham the lord said i 'm going to make you into a great nation that's that 's top line blessing at abraham right he 's going to bless Abraham, but the bottom line blessing is that i 've blessed you that through you others might be blessed, and I might be known." To all people. That's the bottom line. And sometimes we embrace the top line blessing, but we forget the bottom line blessing, don't we? Uh, That it's God's purpose, it's God's design. And when He blesses us, He blesses us so that we can bless who? Others. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. But ultimately, through that blessing, God's design is that that he would be revealed. And people would see him and see his goodness and know him and come to him and be drawn to him. And that it is to his pleasure and to his glory that he blesses us. You see that? So that was the promise that was made. Uh, but Israel, like or excuse me, like uh, Abraham and then the nation that would become Israel, like many of us, forget the, the concept of top-line and bottom-line blessing. And we want to hoard God's blessing uh, for ourselves. And, and we begin to appropriate the blessing individually. And for, we forget that it's given to us as a community. And as a community of faith, we are to represent him. As Christians, we're the body of Christ. We're his ambassadors of reconciliation in the world, Right? He blesses us so that through us, others might be blessed and ultimately he might be glorified. That's the bottom line. But we forget that, don't we? And we see that in the nation of Israel. And so God calls Abraham out. He gives him the, the top line blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Right. Your descendants are going to be as great, as many as the stars in the sea or stars in the sky. And through you, other nations will be blessed. Well. As that nation develops and, and they begin to, to have life and community together, they forget that. They forget that. Uh, and then after the Exodus, in, in uh, chapter 19 of Exodus, verses 4 and 5, after they've been delivered from the bondage, the slavery of Egypt, the Lord says to them, I'm called you out. I'm reminding you, I have called you out. I've called you out, and my design for you is that that you would, would want to be in a relationship with me, and that would be demonstrated through your obedience. You would obey me. And this is what he says in Exodus 19, reminding them. He says, and if you do that, that of all the nations on earth, you will be my treasured possession. I've chosen you of all the nations. To represent me to those nations. You are my treasured possession. It's like, wow. Right? Then we read a little bit further on. uh, In uh, 1 Samuel. And God, through Samuel, is reminding the people that he wants to be their God. He wants to, to rule over them. He wants to be their king. He wants to guide them. He wants to protect them, he wants to fight their battles for them. Uh, he wants to nurture them and love them. But what do the people say? Do you remember? Well, they they say it in first Samuel verses eight or first Samuel chapter eight verses nine through twenty. If you read those verses, the people respond by saying wait a minute. We we don't want we don't want God to be our king. We want a king like all the other nations. We want a king to rule over us so that we'll be like all the other nations. In other words, we want to be like everybody else. And it breaks the heart of God. And even after God said, Do you know what this means? Do you know what's going to happen? These kings are going to take your wealth. They're going to send your sons off to war. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Life under these kings, it's going to be hard. But I want to bless you. No, they say. Again, they say. We want a king like everyone else. We want to be like all the other nations. Okay? And so God gave them ultimately... What they asked for. You see, they had given into the life of the better offer. They had chosen something that appeared to be good. They looked at the nations around them and said, We prefer this. When God had offered them the very best, God had offered them Himself. And you know that offer is going to be extended even into the person of Christ who offers his very life for the people that God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you see the story unfolding? And, And so as Israel is guided by a series of kings, some good, some not so good, some okay, some wicked and evil, they become like all the other nations. And as they become like all the other nations, their conduct, their values, their priorities begin to reflect the priorities of those nations. Completely different than what God had called them to be and who God had called them to become. And God, in his love and in his mercy, rather than allowing them just to to continue on, desperately wants them for himself. And so he disciplines them. Now, the discipline of the Lord is for restoration. It's for reconciliation. Um, It's to... To call people back to their purpose and to the relationship that he designed for them to be in. But in this instance, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, okay, they they fall to Assyria, and later on, the southern kingdom, Judah, they fall to the Babylonians. And it's in this, this exile in which the Babylonians come and they they, they sack Judah, they, they destroy Jerusalem, the temple that Solomon had built, right? And they, they take the best of the best, the cream of the crop of the Jewish people into exile. And there they sit for 70 years. They have a long time to think about what it means to be like all the other nations. But even in that, God uses that exile because the Jewish people they share their faith and their 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 history with God, and and many of them, like Daniel, are raised up into positions uh, of of great responsibility, and and they continue to share, and and even the people in the Babylonian Empire become acquainted with the God of Israel through their exile. Isn't that interesting? That even in the exile, God is fulfilling his purposes. That through them, he would make them a great nation. And that through the nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. See, God is sovereign. And he works his plan. He's continuing to work his plan. So, we get to the book of Haggai. After 70 years in exile... A remnant of about 50,000 Jews return, are given permission to return to Jerusalem. And they're under the civil authority of Zerubbabel, who is in the line of David. And the spiritual authority of Joshua, who is in the line of Levi and Aaron and the high priesthood. It's interesting, you'll see this this line of king and priest, as we move forward in the story, God's narrative in Scripture, we see those two come together in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Right. Who is the king and our high priest. So we, we see God's design and His purpose and His movement in Scripture in this narrative that we're reading. And so they return and they begin to rebuild the temple. And the temple is an important thing because it is the dwelling place of God. You remember back in the wilderness, the tabernacle, right? Where, where God would go and, 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 and the people would see him and meet him and they would represent his presence among them. Solomon builds the temple and God indwells that place, right? The tabernacle there in the temple, and so now they're rebuilding the temple because as they come back, it's important that God is in the center of the people again. It's so important. He's called them to himself and he wants to be in the center of their community, of their lives. As they fulfill the purpose that he created them for. And and so they start to build. But then guess what happens? Other priorities begin to, to take place. And then... We read in Haggai chapter 1 that rather than building the temple, the people start building their own houses and taking care of their own priorities to the point where they're even going up and they're getting beautiful cedar wood and they're paneling their houses and their roofs. And all the while, the house of God sits in ruin, right? The dwelling place sits in ruin. And it's in that context that that the Lord speaks through Haggai and also through. uh, Zephaniah. Uh, no, Zachariah, excuse me, the prophet Zechariah, And they're contemporaries, and, and, and they're speaking at the same time. Um, and you can read about this in the book of Ezra, um, chapter 3, all the way into chapter 6, kind of covers this story I'm telling you about. And the Lord essentially says, Listen you need to get about paying attention to my priorities. You need to build my house. Don't allow my house to stay in ruin. And then it gets to the place where he says, and until you do, your crops, um, they're not going to grow the way you want them to. And, 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 and your material needs and the things that you desire for life that I'm going to withhold some of those things so that you remember who I am and, 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 and you come back to me and make me your priority again. Again, it's a, it's a form of discipline, uh, not to punish them, but to restore them and to reconcile them to himself. And, and that's the message that comes through Haggai to the people, to this remnant that are there. Then we get into verses 12 through 15. That's where we are um, today. Okay? And as we get into verses 12 through 15, the people have a change of heart. And if you look in verse 12, it says, The people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. In fact, if you read in Ezra uh, chapter 6, it actually goes a little bit further and says, because the people listened to and they heard the voice of the Lord and the teachings through the prophet Haggai uh, and Zechariah, they, they prospered. Okay? They began to prosper. They were blessed again because their priorities were in alignment with God's. And so here it says that they listened and they obeyed the voice of the Lord. And because the Lord, and they did it because they, uh, the Lord had sent Haggai to them. And then it says at the end of verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. So. Remember that, that story I told you about how they had gone into exile and they had come back and then they didn't follow God's priority and, and their crops didn't grow and the things that they needed to prosper were withheld? Uh, God wanted to get their attention. Again, a, a discipline of the Lord. Well, it's like what Hebrews chapter 12 says. 12:11 12, speaks of discipline. you see that verse. It's up there. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace to those who've been trained up by it. The author of Hebrews is writing that um, in Hebrews chapter 12. And and we get a, a glimpse of that here in the book of Haggai. And the people respond. They're being trained up by the discipline of the Lord. Their hearts are turned. Their priorities become realigned with God's. And they're going to go about rebuilding the temple as God had wanted them to do. Okay? And what happens? It produces the crop, the fruit of righteousness. And there's blessing in their lives. Because their lives are properly aligned with God. And uh, it's, it's ironic. When Solomon finished building the first temple... The Lord spoke to him. Okay? And this is what the Lord said in 2 Chronicles 7 13 through 14. The Lord gives a message of repentance, forgiveness, and healing. He's saying to Solomon after he builds the first temple, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that means repent and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Here we are, the building of the second temple, The people have turned. They've forgotten God's priorities. They are, in a sense, living in rebellion. They're just taking care of themselves. God corrects them through what? A drought. Their crops don't grow like they're supposed to. They don't get the harvest that they are. But can you think of maybe the remnant of people that saw the glory of, of, of Solomon's first temple, the first temple that Solomon built, And they're remembering the words, these words that the Lord gave to Solomon. And it's the prophet Haggai and Zechariah that kind of shake them. And they go, oh yeah, oh yeah, we need to get right with God. We need to repent and receive His forgiveness so that we can heal ourselves and the land will grow crops again. And that's what we see happening right here. In Haggai. But how does it come? It comes through the word of the word of God. Verse 12 says that it was the word of God through the prophet that the people heard the voice of God and they obeyed. That's why one of our core values is the centrality of the Word of God. That we need as people to listen to the Word of God. There's life, life available to us in God's Word. He guides and and directs. And and we we encounter God's Word and we understand that He is a God of hope, of healing, and of wholeness. And God's Word helps us to to remain aligned with His priorities so we can fulfill the purpose to which He created us. So that we don't have to go through times of spiritual drought to be reminded, right? Right? And the word of God came to the people through the prophet, but they were what? In community. It came to their leaders and then to them, and they discerned it together. And that's what we do here at Community Covenant Church. The leaders and and the people of this church, we discern God's word together. It's given in community. Community. So important. And then the, the scripture goes on to say... The most important words that you can ever hear. Verse 13. The Lord's messenger gave this message to the people of the Lord. I am with you. Wow. Can you imagine anything more powerful than that? Than waking up every morning and knowing that God, the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, the one who created you for his purpose to bring him glory, says, I am with you. Hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? What can anyone do to me? And so now the people have the assurance that God is with them. And you know what he does? He stirs their heart through his spirit. The Spirit of God connects with the Spirit of men and women. And He begins to stir their heart. And how does He do this? He does it in community, doesn't it? And when God gets into a community of His followers who are aligned with Him, who can say, I know that God is with us, and and He begins to stir their hearts, they are prepared to bring Him glory. They're prepared to fulfill the purpose to which He calls them. They're ready to do great things. Wow. Community covenant. Did you hear that? Oh. Man. It was true to the people, the remnant who returned to Jerusalem as God spoke through the prophet Haggai. It's true to you and me today. To us as a faith community. That's why we we believe in the centrality of the Word of God. We, we believe in um, a conscious dependence of the Holy Spirit. That it's God's Spirit at work in us that stirs us. That enables us to fulfill all He created us to do. Okay? That's a core value here. Well, quickly as we go on, um, it says that not only the spirit of Zerubbabel and, and uh, Joshua, the spirit of the high priest, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people were stirred by God's spirit. And look what it says here. They came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. Wow. It reminds me of Isaiah 55. Verses 10 through 11. We can see that verse. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It was the word of God, the voice of God through the prophet Haggai that spoke to the people. And here's the promise. As that word goes forth from his mouth, he says, it will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And when God's people receive his word, then and only then can they begin To achieve his desires. And the purpose through which he created them. You see that? That our hearts and our lives in community together are in alignment with God and his priorities. And the Lord through a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts together. Man. Man. He stirs our hearts. And we as His people are aligned with Him. And we're about the work of His kingdom in the world. Will we be blessed? Absolutely. That's the top line. But what's the bottom line? That through us, those that don't know Him, Will see him and be drawn to him, and that he'll be glorified. He'll be glorified. That's good stuff. I want to close with a verse out of Hebrews, verse 10, verses 24 through 25. It's so important. Pastor Tyler was here this morning. He was saying, hey, sign up for a small group. It is so important that we're connected. We're in community. Small groups help that happen. That's like human Velcro, right? You meet together. You pray together. You live life together with Christ in the center. Right? It's so important. You discern God's word together. Your hearts are stirred by God together. Small groups are important. They're so important. Again, the author of Hebrews. Let us consider how we may stir one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as the habit of some. Right. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day. Of the Lord's return approaching. God has. Called us together as a community and he is at work and he's joined us. He's invited us to join him in his work in his kingdom work in the world. And my prayer is that we would listen to the voice of God through his word. Our hearts would be stirred by his spirit, that our lives would be transformed through our relationship with Christ. And ultimately our community would be compelling that we would be compelled to be a part of God's work in the world together as a community. And this table, the Lord's table, the sacrament of communion reminds us of that. He calls us together as community, as family to sit at his table. And it's very reminiscent of that, that night so long ago when he gathered his followers around himself and as he prepared himself and them for for his sacrifice on the cross, he, he took elements of bread and wine and he used them to illustrate eternal principles. And then reminded them and us that whenever we gather together, whenever we partake of these, that we are to remember his sacrifice until he comes again. We're in that time between redemption and restoration. It's in that time that God wants us to be busy building something about the work of his kingdom, okay? As his people. And so it was on the night that he was betrayed that he took bread. And after he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it To his disciples saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, eat this and remember me. Then he took the cup. And in a similar manner, he. He began to pour it out. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out. Cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. For you. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So that whenever we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we declare Christ's sacrifice until he comes again. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again. He's coming again. This table is open uh, to all who say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I know you died for my sins. That I might have forgiveness and new life. This is the table. To remind us and you of that. And so as we come this morning, my prayer is that the Lord would stir our hearts in a fresh, in a new way that our priorities might be aligned with his and that our lives might bring him honor and glory to his pleasure, to his purpose, to his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness, for your love, for your pursuit of us, for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross that That whoever would believe in him would not suffer the punishment of their sins, but instead have new life, eternal life, a purposeful life with you. Father, as we come this morning, we say, Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us, stir our hearts, Remind us of your love for us. Realign our lives, our priorities with yours. May our passions reflect your heart. And may our lives be to your pleasure, ultimately, to give you all the glory. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.